Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to Mind Hostage, a show where real people discuss real issues of overcoming negativity and a negative mindset. I'm your host, Stephen Payne, and I'm glad to be here with you today. Today's episode is brought to you by CBD 911, distributors of some of the purest CBD on the planet. With a 60-day empty bottle money-back guarantee, their CBD is certified organic, non-GMO. You can visit them at www.mycbd911.com. All right, thank you, Mind Hostage fans, for tuning in today. We're going to have an interview with Kent Meyer, who is a former EMT paramedic and is founder of Project Hope EMS. Kent, thanks for coming on the show today. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Kent, you know, having uh, spent almost 30 years in the emergency medical service industry myself, I feel like this is a is a topic that is important to a lot of people, not only within the industry, but for those who or you know, family and, and, and friends and just a general public to know that the people who lay their, their life on the line every day may be suffering. Yeah, I believe there's a lot of, I don't want to call it ignorance, but lack of education as to what first responders go through on a daily basis and see and, and uh, the suffering that goes on in silence. And um, I, I think that's changing I think there's more awareness going on, and, and um, I think the word's getting out there slowly. But yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of unknown out there as far as the general public goes. You know, I, I think some of it has to do with the. It's just kind of an expectation. It's something you do. You, you dial nine one one when when you need someone, whether it be a you know law enforcement or or the fire department or you know EMS and and you you dial the numbers and somebody shows up and and a lot of times there's not a whole lot of thought that go goes into you know what what makes that happen what makes somebody show up at your door when you dial nine one one and and it's kind of like uh, you know going to the store nowadays where everything's automatic you, you you don't have to open a door you just walk up to it and it opens up and things happen and and I think we tend to take those things for granted yeah and people see us as and label us as heroes and actually we're just ordinary people and uh doing extraordinary things and seeing extraordinary things and um and being regular people that that has an effect and that's the downside of it well uh ken do you mind sharing with our listeners how prevalent that ptsd is amongst our first responders? There's a uh, 20% of the people who are exposed to trauma, first responders who are exposed to trauma will get PTSD. That's equivalent to a tour in Iraq. Um, a lot of people hear PTSD, they think of military, they don't think of first responders getting PTSD. And, uh, and I have some statistics. The statistics in a, the U.S. aren't that great because they're very focused and they focus on certain events. And uh, like Canada is light years ahead of us and they have like all inclusive statistics. And But America is kind of behind the ball on 
first responders and PTSD. So we don't have really great statistics, but we do have some general statistics that are true and, and uh, hold water. But just to give people an idea of what first responders are dealing with, so like suicide in the U.S. is the 10th leading cause of death. Lifetime attempts is 8.7% in the U.S. for the average person. But for first responders, it's 15.5%. So that's double uh, double what it is for the average person. The suicidal ideation uh, for the average person is 14.3%. But for first responders, it's 46.8%. So for those so, that don't know, that suicidal ideation is just that you that you feel like or want or have thoughts of uh, actually committing the act of suicide. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So clearly, first responders are at a higher risk than the general public to uh, for suicide and to get PTSD. That's uh, that's about it in a nutshell for statistics. Uh, I have some more as we go along that'll pertain to topics that we talk about. Okay. Well, you know, and I think something to keep in mind for our listeners is that there there are a lot number of factors that affect these statistics and and maybe why they're not very accurate, and 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 why that the incident uh, rate of PTSD in first responders may, may be different. Um, and, and some of those revolve around maybe the, the, uh, the area that you work, um, being the, the, the call volume. Cause remember these are repeated traumas, mm-hmm. um, where responders respond to multiple calls per shift. And so some of that varies in, and the the call volumes, the number of calls on average that the uh, first responders respond to every day, and and then the the type of incidents that they respond mm-hmm. to, and and it could be one incident or it could be a cumulative result yeah. of multiple incidents per day. Uh, that's one thing. Um, it, and there's because you, something you said a while ago is, is very very important, and, and that's that we're real people too. Uh, first responders are real people, and and so there there are real people issues to consider, with such as you know background and culture, and and you know childhood experiences, and you know many different factors that that play into how different incidents throughout your career could affect you differently. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, a lot of people, not a lot of people, but. Uh, a lot of these incidents, suicide or PTSD, aren't reported. You may have somebody who was a paramedic who has PTSD but never got diagnosed due to the stigma. And, and I think we're going to discuss what the stigma is here in a little bit. And then he goes to work in a factory later and then winds up committing suicide. Well, it doesn't get reported because it looks like he just committed suicide while he was working in the in the industry, but not as a first responder. And there's places that uh, don't report it. They almost cover it up. It's a brotherhood. They don't want to uh, tarnish them or, or drag their name through the mud, so to speak. And But the fact is, and 
I know this is true for firefighters and police officers. EMS, by the way, emergency medical services, is probably the most underreported as far as statistics. But firefighters and police officers die more by suicide than they do in the line of duty. That's that's crazy. Yeah. That's, that's a lot of pain. You know, we talked about, you know, EMS, fire, and police collectively, uh, that uh, the incident of suicide is at least twice that of the general public. Mm -hmm. And it's underreported. So, yeah, we will discuss kind of some of the stigma behind that and, and maybe why that's underreported and, and, of course, what we can do to improve awareness. But, um, you know, th those stats uh, being said, what what are some of the signs and symptoms in, in people who are struggling with PTSD in general, but particularly here for our first responders? Well, there's... Uh... And that's just it. There's a lot of first responders who are going through uh, the symptoms of PTSD, but they don't know they have PTSD, so they don't know. So it's good for them to hear it, too, as well as the public. There's a lot of uh, symptoms, but um, we'll cover some of them. It's kind of broken down into three major categories. The first one is re-experiencing symptoms, like through nightmares or flashbacks or they're fixated on the past or the event that has brought them to PTSD. They may have psychotic episodes uh, where suddenly they feel like they're somewhere else experiencing some sort of trauma. Um, they could have panic attacks or phobias. And uh, the second category is avoidance symptoms. Uh, isolation is probably the biggest thing you'll see in PTSD is a symptom. The person isolates himself from friends and family. And uh, that's like a major red flag right there. In that category falls like anxiety in crowds or traffic, uh, despair, depression, uh, very reluctant to talk about traumatic events, uh, lack of interest or motivation, former hobbies, things like that, no interest in things that they used to have interest in, uh, substance abuse, uh, which is a big uh, unhealthy coping skill that people with PTSD adopt. And I feel is due a lot to the stigma. The third category is arousal symptoms. You'll see anger and irritability, hypervigilance. And so those who don't know what hypervigilance is, it's where sounds are a lot louder than what they seem like. And they affect you in a scary way, uh, like a car backfiring or uh, a you know, it could be a dog barking or somebody yelling or uh, you're just more susceptible to la uh, to noises. And again, substance abuse is in, under that category. That's a big one. There's a lot more, but I mean, we don't have time to cover them all. But sure, sure. Well, yeah, yeah I think for, for folks, whether you be a provider and, and you need to hear this and 
and, and there there are some symptoms that you have um, that maybe you haven't recognized or accepted yet, or you're a friend or a family member. Um, these are things you know to be aware of, and and you know I, I think that there are characteristics that may be present that that you, people may not have linked to PTSD that are fairly common in the industry, such as you mentioned alcohol or substance abuse, where there, you you may have a friend or or you may be in a, or have a history of being in the public safety industry and. People look at you like you're just a, maybe a party animal, you know, right? The guy mm-hmm. that goes out and, you know, drinks a lot. Um, and, and, and it could be the life of the party for some, but it's that your focus is on alcohol frequently. Um, for others that, that you may, may drink uh, in private, and they, they don't, like you said, they, they don't like to get out and socialize. And, and so they may just be labeled as kind of an antisocial person. Whereas they may normally not be antisocial, but that's a, a symptom of, of an underlying problem. Um, you know, it could be that you're having trouble in relationships um, where where it's just labeled as him being a, whatever you may label him as, just difficult to get along with or, or maybe just a kind of a downer or a negative type, you know, personality. Um, there, there's just a number of different labels that I think people can have that people don't recognize as being symptoms of a bigger problem. Yeah, I think a lot of people, well, sometimes they'll say, I think I'm just burnt out or I think I'm just depressed. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of things that look like or can mask what PTSD, but the truth of the matter is a lot of these other things like um, burnout or depression can lead to PTSD if not having some sort of intervention. Mm. And speaking of self-medicating, the first responders, instead of reaching out for help, they tend to self-medicate to numb themselves and it's uh first responders with ptsd who self-medicate are two to four times more likely to become addicted to whatever their drug of choice is so you know you know what goes along with that is there's also a high uh incidence of of injury uh in in this uh public safety industry, you know, there's a high incident rate of back and shoulder and knee. And you can imagine just a ton of different um, <laughs> opportunities for injury and opportunities to be prescribed uh, opiate-type medications, mm-hmm. um, which which then could turn into, hey, I've got a legit reason to be taking uh, these particular medications and very quickly lead to abuse. Yes, and I've been there. I've had two back surgeries, and uh, so I was on some pretty heavy drugs there for a while. And, yeah, it's easy to justify in your mind that this is okay, but you're taking it for the wrong reasons. Exactly. Yeah, likewise. You know, after after a lumbar fusion, you know, a couple of spinal injuries and multiple joint surgeries, um, for me, I had to very, very quickly – get that in check mm-hmm. and, I, and I don't think we're unique um, we know many people and as a matter of fact it's probably 
more difficult to find somebody who doesn't have a, a, a previous injury in the public safety industry, yeah, uh, first responder industry. Well, it's it's hard on the body. No sleep at night, the poor diet, uh, lack of exercise, uh, lifting improperly because you don't have a choice, and lifting more than you should, and yeah, it's it's kind of hard not to get injured along the way. Well, you know, the, the the physical injuries are one thing that's easy for people to see, though. You know, if I'm if I'm struggling to walk because my back is is hurting, and you can you can look at the grimace on my face and you know how I'm struggling to walk, or you know, if I have a a brace on my knee and require a crutch to move because of an injury, or if you have a you know a bandage or something, people can look at you and see that something's going on. Mm -hmm. um, I think something that's really important to understand is you can't always see a mental injury. No. And people always treat it that way too, or treat it differently. Um, so if you had back surgery, people would be coming over to help you do things around the house. You'd be getting cards, you'd be getting phone calls, you'd be getting all sorts of support. But then if you, come down with PTSD or a mental illness, most times there is no phone calls. There is nobody coming over to check on you. Because people are not educated about mental illness and they're afraid of it and they're afraid they're going to say the wrong thing or they don't know what to say and so they just stay clear. But it's no different. Mental illness is, or injury, if you want to call it that, is no different than a physical injury. You go to the doctor, you get seen for it, you get treated for it, and it, it's really no different. Four out of five adults in America have some sort of mental illness. So it's not like mental illness is a unique thing where you're a select few of crazy people. Four out of five adults in the U.S. have some sort of mental illness. This is a this is a regular thing for America. It's normal, and mental illness needs to be viewed as a normalcy and not a an issue or a problem that should be treated like. Uh, leprosy or something like that right right well you know i think you know one of the things that goes along with that and 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 we'll talk more about stigma you know in in a little bit but you know something a, a an old wise man told me one time and we were just having a discussion and i was complaining and yakking about some you know issue that i had going on at at work or in my personal life and they just looked at me with those calm you know cool eyes and smiled, you know, real gently and put his hand on my shoulder and said, aren't you glad you don't own all the world's problems? And I thought, <laughs> man, it really kind of hit me at that point. But, you know, the, what happens is that each of us individually are going through, you know, our own issues in life. And so it's easy for us to think that ours are worse than someone else's or or whatever. And, and when you see somebody else struggling, you write it off as, well, they just need to deal with it. And you know, although you know, we may be going through something similar, there are many, many different factors that could affect us each differently. 
And so, you know, one of the things that I think we need to be a little bit more sensitive to is the fact that whatever you're going through right now is important to you. And we we shouldn't write it off so quickly as, you know, somebody's just weak or, you know, they just have a a difficulty coping or whatever, because you can't possibly know know, what they've gone through in the past, what they're going through now. And then not only that, but our individual makeup as people make Mm -hmm. us make us very, very different and respond to things different. It doesn't mean that you are stronger than somebody or they're weaker. It just means we're different. Because... Like you said, well, trauma affects people differently. I mean, me and you may go out on the same call, but it may not affect you, but it affects me. And it's just like you said, our makeup, we're different people. We've been through different things, and we may have had other things happen that built up to that, or, but we can't you see that where people say, well, I was there too. I don't understand why you have a problem with it. It's not a competition. You know, different people have different reactions and we have to recognize that. Well, and you know, it could be that it may may not affect them right now. Right. But uh, like as for myself, I was really good at kind of locking things away and, and putting them behind me or so I thought. And, you know, you lock those things away or, or compartmentalize uh, those those individual traumas and and think it doesn't affect you um, until it starts to leak out later, and it will. Uh, and I, the analogy I use is, is kind of like, I, matter of fact, I just read in the news the other day where we had a kind of a nuclear waste uh, depository where, you know, they locked this nuclear waste away and seal it up in containers and they put it inside another container that's lined and they they bury it deep in the earth but eventually it's going to uh, eat its way through those containers and it's going to start to leach out and i mm-hmm. think that's what happens to people that think they've got it locked away or that it may not affect them now is that eventually eventually those things could could leach out for some it, it, maybe it doesn't maybe you they've developed a good coping mechanism or it really didn't bother them but I think more often than not, people fool themselves into thinking that it doesn't. Um, and it could be that it, that's our that's the hero in us that we don't want to accept and admit that something bothers us. Well, I know I did that too. I locked things away, and because they don't teach you how to, they don't teach you coping skills in school, in, in any of the schools, fire, police, EMS. Um, they just tell you some things that could happen and you should get help. And that's about it. I think in the class, five slides cover the whole thing, but, and it's a poor coping skill. And I know a lot of first responders do that. And it, that's what happens. It's like a, it's like a volcano. Eventually it erupts and it's not a good thing. Well, Kit, you know, that being said, would you mind sharing a little bit about how maybe some of these things have affected you personally? Sure. So I was in EMS for 14 years and uh, I've seen a lot of things. And um, it took one call. I've been on other calls like it, but for some reason that call really bothered me and I started to struggle with it. 
It was a, a burn patient. And I started having nightmares and uh, shortly I struggled with that for a couple of years. And then after that, my mother passed away. And that was like the, the final blow. It opened the floodgates for whatever reason and uh, calls that I had forgotten about, that I had stuffed away, had come back and were haunting me in my sleep and nightmares. Um, uh, so I wasn't sleeping because I didn't want to sleep because I didn't want the nightmares. I was starting to have flashbacks. I was hallucinating due to lack of sleep. Um, I isolated from friends and family and I didn't know what was going on. PTSD never crossed my mind and never really knew much about PTSD at that time, uh, other than the military. And I thought I was losing my mind. I was reluctant to reach out for help because I didn't want, well, because of the stigma, which, you know, we can talk about, but uh, I didn't want people to think less of me. And, you know, as first responders, we look at ourselves as the helper and we shouldn't need help because we're the ones that help people. And I know the first responders know, but like the general public don't know, you know, on, on uh, some of these scenes that we go on, it's just utter chaos. And we are calm and cool. We may be freaking out on the inside, but we're, we maintain composure and we, we command the area. We, we calm the family that's uh, upset because of a loved one that's hurt. We're landing helicopters. We're calling for extra ambulances. We're dealing with all these things and we do it well. But then all of a sudden when we're by ourselves at home, and we're having flashbacks and nightmares and it's like, I'm one person. Why can't I manage what's going on with me when I can take care of all these things on a chaotic scene and I should be able to handle what's going on with me. Finally, I, I fell into a deep depression. My self-esteem was so low. I never have felt so low in all my life. And um, I tried to commit suicide. I cut my wrist. My boss found me and they rushed me to the hospital and I was uh, admitted to the mental health and I was there for several days. And while I was there, they diagnosed me with PTSD and uh I was somewhat relieved because all of a sudden there was a name to what I had and I wasn't losing my mind. So that was kind of a relief to me. I knew I was done with the MS because you can't help others if you can't help yourself. Uh, you need to help yourself first. You need to make yourself a priority, make yourself your own number one patient. And so I moved, uh, Moved up to South Dakota to be close to family where I'd have some support while I went through therapy. And and so I went through therapy and I, I still go to therapy. I still see a doctor. That was four years ago. And 
and I take meds and I still have anxiety. I still have nightmares. I have insomnia. I have flashbacks every now and then, but I lead a normal life. Uh, I've learned to embrace who I am and what PTSD is a part of me, but it doesn't define me. It's not who I am. And I've, I've learned to move on and have a productive life and be happy. Just this morning, at 2.30 this morning, I was talking to somebody in crisis who was like, is there life after PTSD or after EMS? Because he has PTSD and he lost his job and, and he just felt like it was the end. There's nowhere to go. And so we talked about what we're talking about now. And so I started a group called... Uh, Project Hope EMS on Facebook. It's a support group and and a page. I started a page and it's for first responders with PTSD. Because when I was going through my symptoms, I felt like I was all alone. I felt like I was the only one in the world going through it. And I reached out online for help, for statistics, for uh, references, anything. And I couldn't find anything, no help at all. So I wanted to do something to help first responders, let them know that they're not alone and that there is hope and that there are others out there who are suffering in silence. And you can pool together and discuss what you're going through and have a support group. So that was, that'll be three years in September that I started that. And since then we have three different groups for different things and we have two pages and a website and we're uh have over 36,000 members and we're in over 51 different countries oh that's awesome that's awesome but you know steve i like i said i was at my lowest low when i started this i was running in auto mode it's like somebody else was directing my body what to do. I give all the credit to God. Um, because, I mean, he had to have a hand in it because I accidentally started it and it took off. Um, in the beginning, it was 50 to 100 member requests a day. And I was just like, this is crazy. Isn't there support out there for people? And it just showed me what a need there was for it. And, but it, it's just grown and, and I give them all the credit. You know, I'm just a regular guy. I don't know big words. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you were from EMS, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, you know, I don't see myself as anything like a hard charger over, what do you call it over uh achiever or anything like that it just i really think it 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 was all god that had a hand in it and and continues to have a hand in it and that's my story well you know i think that that's uh you know thank you for sharing that that's that's a very very touching uh story and, and i hope that that people really really listen um it, you know that's really the basis for for this program I haven't come from a, a background in, in a childhood with uh, 
alcohol and 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 substance abuse and having survived childhood uh, physical mental and, and sexual abuse it kind of set me up uh, um i think you know for for troubles later on that i that i didn't fully understand but i'm a marine corps veteran and and as as you know i i spent nearly 30 years in the emergency medical service industry as a paramedic and a critical care flight paramedic and, and as an entrepreneur but you know some of the things that i didn't realize were were affecting me um because again it was things that were maybe i had relation relational issues or um yeah i didn't didn't like to get out in big crowds and it wasn't until later where i started having different different triggers and 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 you know ken to be honest with you i i didn't even realize it when when I had a gun in my mouth, mm-hmm. I, I didn't know what was going on. All I knew is that I had a lot of pain that I couldn't cope with. You know, for me, it, it very similar, you know, years of repetitive trauma combined with the trauma that I had endured as a child, uh, I think, you know, came to a head. And, you know, it, it, it exhibited itself in, in many different ways, but um, for me personally, I think the the biggest thing was guilt. You know, I, I could hear the, the the cries and the, and the screams of a, a child screaming, "Wake up, Daddy! Wake up!" And and I knew Daddy would never wake up and walk her down the aisle. I knew Daddy would never go to the dance. I knew that. The person would never be there, or or to hear the the desperate cries of a mother begging for you to save their child, and to live with the knowledge that I couldn't, and to blame myself and to think that maybe I could have done more. You know, to to blame myself for not being able to give somebody back their loved one um, is a huge burden to carry around, and and that was something that was that was really strong within me, and, and I continue to struggle with. I know in my heart that I did the best I could and that nothing else you could be done, but it, it still nags you. Um, and then, you know, as you mentioned, Ken, that you go to some very horrific scenes and, and some one of the strongest senses re- that relates to memory is the sense of smell. Mm-hmm. You combine some of the sights and the sounds and the smells and they etched themselves into your memory, into your subconscious, and so that's where a lot of people, you know, have triggers. And, and another another of mine was avoidance. I avoided certain areas. Uh, if I was traveling and traveling through an area where you know there had been a something that really touched me, um, I avoided the area. Um, I avoided large crowds, and and I did become hyper vigilant. Um, but it affected me in other ways in my relationship where um, I, I became a conflict avoider um, that, that any type of conflict or negativity created such an anxiety inside me that I had a difficult time coping. And and the way I coped with that was to, to shut it down. I, I, you know, I, yeah. I, I you know, turned to anger very quickly um, or that I just didn't communicate at all. And so it exhibited itself in, in different ways that at the time I didn't understand and nobody else understood. Mm-hmm. And and yet I continue in my own way to struggle with it, although I'm healed and, and by the grace of God, 
you know, I, I continue to function normally, uh, if you will. But, um, you know, you, you can't get rid of the memories. You can't get rid of the smells. You know, something that, uh, a sound that you hear. For me, it's a screaming children, you know, on a playground. I can pass by a playground and hear a little girl, you know, screaming like they do. And, and it creates an anxiety inside me because maybe it f- ties back to, you know, a time when, you know, child was trapped in a burning car um and i can still hear the screams um and so it'll it'll cause those those type of triggers even though i function and cope well i think it's inevitable that something would affect you you at at some point in time so uh, again i share this because i want responders to know that you may be doing okay right now or you may think you're doing okay but the first step in getting better, the first step in getting help, and the first step in in your longevity and your career and, and your happiness is acceptance and acknowledgement that you may be having some troubles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I think that kind of takes us in, you know, to the to the next uh, section here, which is for those people who who may recognize some of the signs and symptoms that we talked about. What do you what do you do next? Well, you need to get help. You you need to uh, have the signs and symptoms. Those are red flags, and you need to go to your – I'd start out with your family doctor and tell them what's going on. And then ultimately you need to see a therapist, get diagnosed of what what you do have, and then they will – probably start you on some medications to help you uh, even out the roller coaster on some of the symptoms that you're having. But you have to reach out for help. You can't do it on your own. You just can't. I'd even say the first step is is being honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we have to ask ourselves, why don't we reach out for help? I think that's an important topic. And, you know, why do you think that is? Well, the stigma, you know, and I had to look up stigma. I kept hearing about it in the beginning, stigma, stigma. And I was like, what is stigma? I don't understand it. And and I looked up the definition of it. And it comes from the Greek language when soldiers would mark a slave or a criminal by cutting or branding them. Uh, marking them to be identified as a lower moral status. Wow. And it, uh, so the bottom line, stigmatizing is to separate us from them. Okay. So we're afraid. We're afraid that what our peers are going to think. We're afraid that we're going to be taken off the truck. We're afraid we're going to lose our job. And sadly, uh, some places that happens. But that's changing. Legislation is starting to change, and uh, where PTSD is now uh, uh, workman's comp. So things are changing, but the stigma is we're afraid to come forward because we're afraid what other people are going to think or say. You, you know, Ken, I think one of the reasons why that's so, so important to us as individuals is this isn't a job for us. I, I didn't necessarily choose the career because I thought it was going to be exciting. I chose the career because I generally wanted to help people. It's not what we do. It's who we are. 
Right. And the, it's a big the, part of you. Yeah, the threat and the risk of losing that in any way, mm-hmm. I think, far outweighs our need to get help. But, yeah, I agree. But but by the same token, reaching out and getting help will allow you to continue to help other people. Don't get so deep into this illness that there's no turning back. And there's a lot of people who <laughs> get help and go back to EMS or back to being a first responder. That's not, you know, that's an obtainable goal. That's not, uh, absolutely. It, it's not a death sentence to have PTSD where your career is over with. No, you learn new coping skills, you know. You, right. Once you get a, your cards out there on the table, you can actually deal with it right. in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, that was a personal choice. I knew I had to leave. I could go back today, but with my age and my back, it's like, I don't think so. <laughs> and <laughs> well, Kit, what, do you th- what do you think that uh, we can do within the industry to, to help ourselves and help each other and 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 to to raise awareness and and to, to actually identify and treat more people. We need to view mental injury as a normalcy, and we need to address mental health in the industry on a a normal basis. Just like you have regular training on different topics, mental health should be part of your regiment is your training and your place of employment. You know, one thing that this kind of comes to mind, community is defined as a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. Hmm. So it's like, ask yourself what kind of interest, goals, and attitudes does your community share? Does it share where it rejects mental health or it puts people who have mental health issues at bay, which causes a stigma? Or are you guys embracing mental health? Because we all need mental health help at some point in time. And uh, like I said, I see it changing it's not changing fast enough. And then we need to be aware of our conversations. You know, the stigma starts with us on what we say and how we view things and how we talk. We can change the stigma by changing how we talk about things and, and how we talk about a person and how we view a person. And and that's where it starts is uh, with us, with you. You know, one of the things that that I think you know, is worth mentioning, and because we're talking about public safety industry, and 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 you know, when we talk about that, we think about the obvious, the EMTs and paramedics and and the the uh, police uh, and fire, uh, but there are other people involved in this industry that that are affected as well. Um, dispatchers, yeah, uh, the the communication specialists have to deal with the stress of not, you know, of trying to manage and coordinate. Uh, these efforts and, and they have to listen and hear these people on the telephone for extended periods of time until help arrives. That's very stressful. 
Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't do their job. There's no way. And plus, you have to be able to multitask, which is definitely not in, in the, the top of my, top of my strengths <laughs> at all. But you know, the the other people that you know, nurses and, and doctors mm-hmm. and techs in the ER. Um, yeah, I'll tell you, other folks that that don't realize have to deal with this are, are the tow truck drivers that that have to come haul away the wreckage uh of the in the in the carnage that existed in the you know and and you know they have to see some horrible things they're just guys look i haul cars for a living and before you know it they're out there having to deal with some pretty horrible things and sights and and smells and you know so there are other people that are affected by this industry that are that you know maybe are on the periphery but nevertheless suffer traumas yes and it's funny you mentioned that my oldest son worked as a, a tow truck driver, a wrecking truck or whatever. And he uh, he was telling me about the things that he's seen. And I, just, I couldn't believe it. I was just like, wow. Exactly. So, you know, I, I just like for folks to take a minute and, and recognize if, if if you're someone who's affected or if you're a you know maybe a family member or a friend of someone like that you know take a minute to to do a, a a buddy check you know check on your on your friends and and have an open discussion and let them know it's okay it's okay to talk about it and and if you identify some of these symptoms that may be out of character or you know maybe something that somebody's been exhibiting for in any length of time have that discussion and and if they haven't come to that stage of acceptance stage an intervention if necessary but key is is to be able to reach folks that are hurting inside before they get to that suicidal stage before Mm -hmm. it's too late you know and even if they're not ready to have that conversation you've planted that seed where you're approachable and they can they know they can come to you don't be afraid to uh, what not to say or uh, the biggest thing is to be a good listener and and listen to what they have to say but if they're not ready to have that conversation or they get angry and shut down at least you planted a seed and they know that at least i can go talk to them if i have to or if i need to and so that's that's important to remember I think you know the, the 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 thing about listening that's important and 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 look I've I've done this wrong I've screwed it up before um, where you know I have uh, you know maybe a, a co coworker you know somebody in the in the industry that 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 you know may maybe trying to reach out and I didn't recognize it but I got too caught up in my own war stories and too caught up in you know kind of what I struggle with to to really be a good listener. And so, you know, listening is is an active skill. It, it, an, being an active listener means that you listen, and you know, telling people who are hurting, you know, kind of what you've been through and sharing those war stories doesn't make it better. No. And you know, again, I, I've done it wrong, and and you know, I, I regret that, and and you know, I want to just let folks know if somebody that's in the industry, if it's a partner of yours or a coworker or someone you know. Just listen. Yeah, that's all they need is somebody to listen to them. Yeah. Well, Kent, I, I really thank you for coming on the show today and sharing your story and sharing some of these very, very important statistics. And, and uh, you know, I, I thank you for what you do with the Project Hope EMS 
and the many, many lives that you've touched and that I know you'll continue to touch. God bless you in, in your work and, and in your journey. And, you know, I hope you'll come on the show in the future. Oh, yeah. It's been an honor to be here today. I really appreciate the invite. Yes, absolutely. Well, Kent, thank you very much. And you guys, as listeners, again, uh, Kent, would you want to share their Project Hope EMS website again? Oh, yeah. It's www.projecthopeems.net. And it talks about the different groups and has all the information, tools and resources, things like that. So it's it's a good read. So go check it out. Awesome. Thank you so much. For my various symptoms, such as you know difficulty sleeping, uh, feelings of anxiousness, uh, aches and pains, and other issues, I take a high-quality uh, CBD, which has completely changed my life. I've been able to come off all my medications and can treat all my symptoms very, very effectively. But the um, the key is uh, finding a good quality CBD. If you want more general information about CBD and, and how it works, I recommend you visit projectcbd.org. Um, and if you want a good quality, non-genetically modified, certified organic CBD with a 60-day empty model, empty bottle money back guarantee, visit www dot my cbd 911.com for any of you listeners in central texas i recommend you visiting four legs of love boarding and boutique located in temple texas if you want to pamper your furry friends a good doggy daycare or even in-home care or you want to pamper them with a cbd infused spa bath these are the folks for you they also offer a variety of dog beds, accessories, treats, and much more. Visit these guys at gopetlove.com. That's gopetluv.com. Or you can contact them at 254-239-5307. That's Four Legs of Love, Boarding and Boutique. These guys will treat your pets like they're family.